1: Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Hello and welcome to this, the very first episode of the MizogArt Podcast. It does feel like we should have had fireworks just then rather than just the bongos. If you happen to have listened to the preview episode last week, you'd know that this week, starting us on our journey, is conceptual painter Mr Dougie Fields. Now if you don't know of Dougie or his work, do yourself a favour and just Google him. He's an extremely colourful character and it wouldn't be going too far as to say... like a living artwork. He could well have been plucked out of one of his own paintings and while you're there search for his home because as soon as you cross his threshold it's as if you're walking into Dougie's world. This podcast was recorded just around the corner from Dougie's Earl's Court apartment in a place where Dougie likes to go and relax and reflect. It's the beautiful Brompton Cemetery. Although the Brompton Cemetery is an extremely tranquil place You can obviously hear the birds singing in and around us. And a little way in the distance, you can hear the construction work going on on the old Earl's Court exhibition site. It's a project that Dougie has actively opposed since the plans were released. And I should add, before the podcast even starts, that through naivety, at this stage, I hadn't yet invested in a foam mic cover. So occasionally you can hear the wind hitting the open mic It is a tad annoying but it is bearable and I do apologise and I've since invested in a mic cover so it won't be happening again. Without spoiling things too much, in this episode you're going to hear of some of the people that collect Dougie's work and how a certain film director asked Dougie personally to design the artwork for their film which was later to become extremely iconic. Even though it's only a three or four minute walk from Dougie's apartment to the Brompton Cemetery, we were stopped several times by passers by who just wanted to say hello to Dougie. And even halfway through this episode, a Dougie Fields admirer pops over to have a little chat, which was nice of him. But speaking of people who are getting in the way of a conversation, I'll oh, shut up. Here's Dougie Fields. I hope you enjoy. Okay. Right, so we're set I'm sat here this afternoon um, in in a graveyard of all places And what was it called, Dougie? Brompton Cemetery. Trompton Cemetery. I'm sat here with with Dougie Fields, um, who was the, the first artist I wrote to from prison many years ago, nineteen ninety seven, do you reckon? It's
2: a while back,
1: yes. Uh, yeah, too long, too long ago. Um, I saw Dougie's. I saw a painting of Dougie's. Um, I was doing a, a, a GMVQ art course, and I had to. Um, I had to replicate a. Painting that I'd seen in a photograph. So I looked for a Sunday magazine, and there was a picture of Sandra Rhodes with a, a painting of Duggies in the background. Do you remember what that painting would have been? It was a small. It was a small, maybe a sort of.
2: Do you know, she spinach. has several, so I'm not sure which one you saw first. Um, she has a big landscape. She has a one that's a portrait of her and my friend Chavita. And she has a couple of other canvases, too. One that was Marilyn Monroe, um, one that's sort of vaguely like a ballet dancer.
1: And it was it was quite amazing how that envelope got to you in the first place. Because when I read the article, it just said that the artist was named Dougie Fields, and I knew no artist at the time. Um, said the artist was Dougie Fields and he lived in Earl's Court and that's pretty much all that went on the envelope a Dougie Fields artist Earl's Court and uh, I sent it off in the post um, just asking for more information on you and your work and lo and behold a couple of weeks later I get a, I get a reply out of the blue which was the start the absolute foundation of, of becoming an artist myself
2: that's a uh, fabulous story so it's I like
1: it's, that. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. And uh, yeah, without as as I said when I met you the other week, without you replying to that letter, I don't believe my life would have changed in the way in the way that it has. I thought I think I was, still would have been um in the same circles as I was. And um yeah, I know I've got a brilliant life. My my children wouldn't be the great children that they are. They would have been um different children because I had a different attitude and it was it was all all down to you um, that's a fabulous
2: story fun. and thank you for telling me that that's amazing to hear
1: And uh, so thank you for agreeing to do this podcast you're going to be the first one going out which I, I figured it was quite apt because it used the the first artist to uh, to write to me so I figured in my podcast venture um, it only be right that, that you'd be the first as well and um, So I've got seven questions here. The first is, how would you explain what you do or your style to someone who doesn't know your work?
2: Gosh, I find that a difficult question because I try and avoid explaining what I do to people who do know my work, so let alone people who don't. (laughs) So I make paintings on canvas. I use acrylic paint but I also make work on computer. I make images that stay still digital images. Um, Some just live on the computer, some get output as prints. Then I make animations with them, but it's usually a still that's animated as opposed to a pure animation, because I'm learning. And I'm also doing music, and I'm learning to do the music, and the music is part film soundtrack and part standalone music. Yeah. So painting has been my primary focus for many, many, many years, but I got a computer in the mid-'90s thinking I was just going to archive my past and do collage. Yeah. But it, once I started using the computer, I'd learnt all sorts of and things. found a new medium. Yeah, found a new
1: medium. And it's the, the work you produce... Um, you know, you, you're saying that you make it on a computer. Um, Is you can see, you see in the work itself that, it's, that it, how it was made on a computer. Um,
2: that interestingly, before I had a computer, I made studies for my paintings in a very very similar way.
1: Very geometric and linear.
2: I used to use graph paper and tracing yeah. paper, and um, always. When I, when I started painting years and years ago, I started straight on the canvas, and I didn't know what I was doing. And I discovered that what was on the canvas inhibited me from making changes. So then I started doing studies before I started the canvas, and they evolved that uh, I used a graph paper of graph paper basic, and then I would use tracing paper, and I would trace and retrace my drawings and then I'd do a color study separately but the color study would be over a grid and then I would square up the canvas so when I got a computer I discovered the computer put up a grid and it put up layers just the same and I learned to use the mouse as opposed to a pencil and a set square and so the studies came on canvas but the canvas that I do from a computer looks remarkably similar to the canvases that I used to do beforehand Um, I still have my eye and my choice of way of working I just have a different tool to use to get there and that computer has a reality of its own where uh, I can I've lived in the same space for a long time and I've filled it with stacks of paintings and suddenly the computer I can make images that don't take any space yeah, yeah. so the images are still the same kind of imagery I still have the same focus and motivation but what I produce doesn't take up so much space physically
1: so when when you make your when you now make your sort of sketch or study on the computer and then you put it onto canvas do you replicate what's there, or, or does it progress while, like from the? No,
2: from I, the I, I haven't changed what goes on the canvas for a long time, it, bef- even before the computer. Yeah. The whole point of doing the study is to make all the changes that uh, you can make, because the way I paint on canvas is that if I wanted to shift something, it would always show. So if I wanted to have moved a figure, say from the position it's in to somewhere else once it's on the canvas it would show through the paint
1: because
2: the paint is always slightly transparent uh, and I build layers to
1: (laughs) so I
2: I put layers to build a depth of colour but if I was shifting the image, that would show through. So I make all the shifts on the studies, which I did before the computer. Now it's it's, it's quicker to make changes in colour on the computer. It's quicker to make all sorts of changes. But then, because you can, then I tend to make more than I did beforehand even. So uh, I spend an equal amount of time off the canvas making studies before I start the canvas so
1: once you've completed it on on the computer and you're happy with the finished product do you find it a bit laborious having to paint it because you've already done the work now you're just Um, scaling let's
2: say the work is hard work always it's hard work getting happy with the idea on the computer Takes me ages. I make thousands of changes. Then getting it to read on the canvas because it's never exact. It's yeah. never. I'm squaring up the canvas manually, but actually my grid on the computer I've made manually too, yes. so it's slightly off. So and then the line drawing on the computer is one thickness. The line drawing on the canvas is a pencil thickness. Then I come to paint it. Well. No paintbrush produces an even long, yeah. thick, straight black line, which is what I tend to want.
1: And your colours are very dense as well, aren't they? They're,
2: so, they're layers of paint, yeah. and each layer of paint destroys the edge, and so I have to redo the edges again, and every slight sh- shift changes what the image looks like, and then I think, it's not looking right, I've lost it, uh, and I have to look and look and look and look and look. and look. I spend months on the canvas now, about six months. Yeah. Um,
1: and yes, hard work, but... And you have got... a, a love your studio. We was up there a little while ago, just having a look around. And, um, yeah, it's a nice big studio, a lot of light in there.
2: It always has artificial light, and, um... Always needs artificial light And I have size limitation, but, um... I have a Francis well, you Big... Say,
1: you say live, um... Size limitation. yeah, massive. But
2: there's only a certain size I can get out yeah. the front door and get down the staircase. <laughs> and uh, I used to think
1: you're not full, putting a pulley off, off the balcony, they,
2: they can't get out there either. No, they can't. Just, no, there's uh, your window frame size. Um, the so I, I've, I've worked out how big I can do it, yeah. but but when I think your student myself your studio is limiting you then I think Francis Bacon and uh, I used to get the same photographer photographing my paintings in the 80s as he had photographing his and she would come from his studio to mine and say it is so much easier to photograph here because you've got so much more space than Francis (laughs) so whenever I think I'm trapped by my circumstances he had much more economic freedom than me, he could have chosen to get somewhere bigger, but he was content with the space yeah. he had. So that's my lesson: to have learned to be content with the space I have.
1: Well, you've, I've seen that in some, a couple of your paintings. You've got France images from Francis Bacon's work.
2: oh well, I think he has been an influence yeah, on, has, on many ways. One you of know,
1: um, also in your work, you have you have Mondrian a lot and features in hell of a lot, as well as as uh, as well as Pollock.
2: Childhood inspirations. Art Earliest course. introductions to art would be the artists of the 20th century, from but tended to be abstract artists. But that is,
1: that was my next question. When was your first interest in art, and who was your most influential?
2: I think Leger was one of my early ones. Uh, Arp, Miro... I guess so, obviously, darling. You did see
1: what well, in your work. Yes,
2: yeah. yeah. I, th- I think uh, I'm never going to escape them. I don't particularly care either. I'm quite happy to. That, uh, <laughs> you know, that's what turned me on to loving the idea of not being an artist so much as making imagery, though. Yeah.
1: How old was you when you first took an interest in it? Can you remember?
2: I don't remember not drawing, but I remember. Um, more specifically, early teenage years, um, really starting to paint every day. And uh, I had a big abstract period when I was about 13, 14, when I'd seen Jackson Pollock on TV. And the TV program had actually been taking the piss out of him, as abstract art was considered. Um, I don't know what the word for it. You know how the media like to take the piss out of contemporary yeah, yeah. art. They still do, you know. And um, so I w- we had a, a garden with a terrace. And I went out onto the terrace and I put my canvases or whatever I was working on on the ground... I didn't splash paint like he did, but I poured it and let the wind blow it. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: And it was very much pouring from different heights and letting the wind blow the paint onto the canvas.
1: When was you at this point? Was this when you was in Wiltshire?
2: In Hampshire. Hampshire. I was in Tank town Andover. Oh, and yeah. I would have been oh, a grammar school, a grammar school. And um, that was... So my earliest work were, were abstracts around that age. Uh, and it was the love of paint, which I still love painting. Yeah. You know, so as much as I try and remove the paintbrush, the evidence of the paintbrush in the work that I do, uh, I love putting on paint. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's only acrylic you use now?
2: Yeah, I had a period of using oil, uh, and for all sorts of reasons, I couldn't live with the oil... Um, you have to be able to live with paint. It gets yeah. everywhere. It gets not just on your body, it gets on your clothes. You, you breathe the, the smell of it. And I wouldn't say I'm allergic to the smell of oil paint, but I'm uncomfortable with yeah. it. I'm un-
1: Especially if you've got to live with it as well, where your studio's yeah. in your apartment. It
2: permeates your life, that paint, and uh, I couldn't just... Yeah. So I wouldn't say allergic, but almost.
1: Can you remember what you f- the first... Piece that you've done that you sort of really carried with conviction
2: that that you um... oh I think there are many actually um, there's one at art school though that uh, I got shouted out for which by,
1: the lecturers. by by
2: the lecturers yes yeah, so the head of painting got brought to see it um, at that time I was considered a the old abstract painter. I, I <laughs> I painted these. I would had a very conceptual phase when I'd um, a very constructivist phase when I had an algebraic formula that dictated where marks on the canvas went. Excellent. And I don't even remember the formula yeah. now. But it was it was complicated, but it was very abstract. And um, then I got quite minimal. And I was just painting squares and triangles, and I had this big five-foot square canvas that essentially was just a few squares and a few triangles, outlined, flat colour, outlined the way I still paint. And uh, I was wearing a Donald Duck pin on my tie, <laughs> and one day I just took it off and pinned it in the middle of the canvas, and then painted it there. And that's what I got shouted at for—just what do you think you're doing? Yeah. And that started a direction of me being much more pop and much more figurative, but I still think I'm an abstract conceptual artist, just the same. What
1: what bracket would you put yourself in if you, you know, if you was in a sort of an encyclopedia of art? What, you know, sort of what section do you? I have have
2: difficulty defining what I do because it's been through. It's a very conceptual approach to making figures. I, I use. A flat colour and outline.
1: Pop,
2: pop, out. pop, pop describes a period that is yeah. just a bit before my time. So, post-pop, I gave it a label of maximalist in the nineties, because my idea was that it was minimalism with a plus plus plus. Nice. Because um, I, but I do have quite a minimal approach too. So, um, I don't really fit a. a a group label as yeah. such well yeah.
1: I mean, you're you're a very colourful character yourself with your your dress and your style and, and, and you, uh, fashion's a big a big thing for you um, do you think you it, you have influenced your work with your colour or or vice versa
2: I or neither I don't separate my creativity to uh, you can only do this. Um, I think um, I'm creative. I can't help it. That's that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, I make things. You know, I've all, as a child, I made things too. I've always made things.
1: On the way here, I he was talking about the the friends you have. who were very similar in their creativity and their their sort of presence.
2: So. I always wanted to affect my appearance in some way. Um, that started. That's everything started sort of early teenage. Yeah. You know, when I started asserting myself over, making choices. Yes, be. and I mean at school, when I was about eleven, I was wearing hand-me-down, second-hand clothes that came via cousins, yeah. and I hated what I was wearing and I got told off for being scruffy I've never forgotten <laughs> that was, and, yeah, and no, then I started mean,
1: not really your
2: choice is it? No, it wasn't my choice and I started wanting to make choice yes. and I got to the point where I was still a, at school with a school uniform that I didn't want to wear and as soon as I knew I was leaving I lost my cap I lost my blazer uh, and I wore sandals to school and sunglasses. And um, sunglasses, I used to get migraine. I had an optical migraine today, so the sunglasses were to avoid that, but they weren't. They just I just thought they were cool. Yeah. You know? And sandals at that age was... I'd heard of beatniks, I'd heard of bohemians, but I lived in the country, they didn't exist, yeah. but I didn't fit in for all sorts of reasons and started asserting my appearance Um, a little bit my domestic environment too when we'd moved from a small village to to Andover, a small town I got my own bedroom and once I had my own bedroom I wanted to make it look like my own bedroom too so uh, I was allowed to choose curtains wallpaper, bedspread, and that was my first of sort of thinking, your know, environment's important. Yeah. Um, I didn't last long. I had a, f- a few years after that where I had no choice in my environment, but I had choice in my appearance, and very much exercised that, and...
1: What did your parents think of it in those younger years? Are they quite conservative?
2: Yes. And uh, there was a big difficulty with how I wanted to look and how they would have liked me to look. In mean, particular, conflict with my father over my appearance mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, and uh, But once on that path, um, yeah. I think it all comes from, you know, we were outsiders in the little village as a family. My parents had moved down from London. And so we were different. we were they were also different in that my parents were Jewish. After the Second World War, there was still a lot of um, I don't hesitate to say racism, but uh prejudice. Discre- prejudice, yes. and but I didn't have a particularly Jewish upbringing because I went to church on Sundays and I went to Christian schools cheap, fit in, fit I think there was there was actually no choice what well, well, you know they' they weren't specially Orthodox they weren't specially concerned uh, their families were on the other hand yeah. so they were a degree away from their families um, I remember going to stay with an aunt and um, she said, we're having chops for lunch. And I said, oh, goody, lamb or pork? And she was horrified. <laughs> but I didn't know I'd said anything wrong. Yeah. You know? So So we were outsiders in the little village. Then I was an outsider for some visual reason in the family, too. That. Uh,
1: so if, if your father wasn't keen on the way you dressed then, and, and presumably the way you was decorating your room...
2: He didn't mind about the room, I think. It was more the appearance, and the, that progressed as I got older. What would he yeah.
1: say now if he was to walk into your apartment?
2: Well, that's, that's the funny thing is there's this portrait of them in the gallery. Yeah. And the portrait of them in the gallery, they're, uh, they're originally, it's in a painting. In a gallery, they've been cut out, and they're just the two of them removed from the context of the canvas. In the canvas, she's looking out, and he's looking away, which was kind of um, she's giving you her attention. He, if you want his attention, you've got to fight yeah, for it, which yeah. it was a bit how it was. But the cut-out figures in the gallery somehow the context and the printing has changed them. The balance between the flesh colour and the two flesh colours.
1: Well, you talking if you your button and You're talking about the gallery, which we've been talking about just prior to, to coming here. But for people who may be listening, um the you your apartment, which is which is like a, a painting, isn't it? Yes. Um,
2: in many ways.
1: All the walls are either got murals on them or huge paintings lent up against them. Um, your furniture is was it handmade because it not handmade by me, but a lot no, of it designed bit, right, by yeah, me,
2: yeah. and some of it hand painted. Physically, I got other people to put it together, and then I painted it myself.
1: In the Glasgow International Gallery.
2: It's called the Modern Institute. Sorry,
1: the Modern Institute.
2: And it was part of the Glasgow International Festival, which is now finished, but the exhibition still is continuing on until the ninth so of June. So they recreated home. it, and um, they massive isn't it?
1: Is it? Probably bigger than your apartment as well, isn't it?
2: Well, it's higher ceilinged and it's got uh, glass skylights. But um, yes, I think it. I don't know actually. It's a little bigger than my apartment, perhaps, but it's not that so much big, bigger. Yeah, it's
1: a large apartment, you've yeah. Got, but
2: yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. But going back to the portrait of my parents, so they've been cut out and. They look happier. They've never looked so happy. It's so bizarre. When I, when I spotted it, I didn't know why. Now I've figured out it's because yeah. the printing has changed the colour. But my mother looks radiant with happiness, and my father is still looking away, but he's not... He's actually looking at a cutout of me, and he's beaming too. Yeah, it's it's very strange. So they would have been that, very happy. That the yes.
1: curators in the gallery set it, or, or do you reckon it was just by chance? I think it have... was
2: just by chance, yeah. and by uh, you know the printing process is one thing, and um, then the light in the gallery is another, and. Uh, I didn't spot it at first. Someone else said your father's looking at you. Yeah. I said no. He said, "Look, he's looking at you." But they actually do look so happy in there. So I think they would have been have you thrilled. Got
1: that show uh, like of actual artworks.
2: Which, you know, I haven't counted because there's small uh, ones as well. There's isn't small there? ones, yes. So if it, by the
1: looks of what I saw, and I only saw it on the on the view you give me on your computer, maybe forty. <laughs> 30
2: to 40? I'd say more like 30, but then there's works that are reproduced. They're two-dimensional. There are walls that are just two-dimensional, photographs of my home. Then there's paintings on top of paintings. In
1: that gallery, well,
2: there's the odd white wall, but there is there are some white it's walls there. Replicate from yes. your white
1: wall. Yes. It's not the gallery. There's no
2: gallery walls on. No, the gallery. The gallery is completely built the set within yeah. the gallery. That's
1: right, yeah, because when I when I, I met you the other, uh, the other month, you had a, a small maquette, did yes. you, of, of, yeah. the, of what the show was going to look like? A bit, uh, bit ironic having a maquette of your front room, in, or of your home, in your home.
2: But it's, it was weird walking into the exhibition for the first time, and, uh, because it was just like, oh, gosh, you know, this is so like my home, but it's not and it's so interesting. They've been so clever with the way they've the way some bits are two-dimensional some bits are three-dimensional they've squashed some elements and stretched other elements and then layered it in a way that I keep on thinking, I haven't seen that before so it's (laughs) it's interesting, you know
0: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.
2: And I actually had someone come to me last week um, who'd seen the gallery in Scotland but never visited my home. What, friend or...? No, it was actually the BBC, the Radio 4 program. She recorded me in the gallery in Scotland, so she spent quite a long time in the exhibition. And then came to me in London to get something written and walked into the flat. And she went, Oh, this is weird. <laughs> and then she so said, So she's
1: seen it with your eyes, with yes. Your eyes to what you,
2: and then what you she said, think. This is beautiful, though. Your flat is beautiful. Uh, so it was interesting her reaction because it was, I've seen it the other way round, of course, yeah. yeah. She was the first person who has seen the exhibition and then come to the real place.
1: And what did you... The, the friends that, that you took up there with you...
2: Oh, well, the, the, the most amazing gone? was my brother and his wife. And they arrived there before I... I wasn't there when they arrived. They, they got there first and I came along. My brother's wife was just standing there, just mouth just open. A gog. Just a oh. Just absolutely oh. a gog, speechless. <laughs> it's sort of in shock, yeah. yeah. And, it's as uh, if
1: they've uh, been teleported.
2: I don't know. Yes, just. I uh,
1: mean, you had you had, um, as you say, about thirty works there. Um, one of the questions I've got is, what, what piece that you've created do you hold most dear? And, and, oh gosh, and, uh, uh, I've had
2: favourites, and uh, my all-time favourite is I sold, and. Uh, and on top of having sold it I didn't get fully paid for it Mm. and it's still I don't really want to talk about that too much it's a little painful because it was one of those circumstances where I couldn't refuse to say no because I did get some of the money for it uh, but never got fully and uh, I don't know what's going to happen with that but it was um, a painting done in the mid 70s but what's interesting about having the exhibition right now is i didn't select the work for the show uh i let um toby whose gallery it is i let him curate the show i I stood back and i kept i did say i wouldn't choose that i wouldn't choose that Mm. and he made a very good selection i think um and um it was interesting how it isn't the selection I would have made, it isn't the show I would have made, and I think it's great. I yeah. wouldn't change any of it. That's yeah. that's the irony, I think. It's. so.
1: Sometimes it does need to be f- through someone else's eyes, doesn't it?
2: Yes, and there were pictures I haven't looked at for years that I'm looking at and thinking, Well, that's what I have to love a painting to finish it. Yeah. So every painting I've done, I've loved, but at some point I'm then disappointed. And uh, there's always that, oh, okay, you know, otherwise if you're not disappointed, you're not going to go and do anything else. It's because it's always you're trying to be better. Um, so...
1: How do you title your work?
2: That's a, that's a problem. Sometimes I have titles, sometimes I don't. Yeah. Sometimes it's purely you need something to refer to them by, but I don't, the words and the image don't necessarily belong together. Other times words and images come together, mm. Um, and
1: can you see a change in your style from like, well, the the 80s, 90s? Yes to and to no.
2: Today? Yes and no. That I see. I think I have a spiral around myself, yeah. so that uh, there are things that I've done, that I've redone, and I've redone, and I've redone. But they're not the same. Yeah. I, even yeah. if I paint the same image again, which I have done, it's not the same. It doesn't look the same, and it does look the same, but it doesn't. And my stimulus is different it's like I've remade a lot of my old images digitally Mm. and um, it's kind of like I treat them like they're found objects or they're it's a new source but I've still got the same method of working and I don't understand what made me passionate about the image in the first place but I'm passionate about doing them again for a different reason
1: yeah Is
2: like I'm wearing this badge, the clockwork orange. I did this originally as a portrait for Stanley Kubrick for the film, the film. And I never had a proper photograph of it. When I got digital, I remade, I redrew the image based on a distorted reproduction he'd had made from my original.
1: What happened to the original, any idea?
2: No, because it's... It's
1: it it's got lost within the...
2: I think it's got lost within his collection yeah. because I did meet someone who was in charge of the collection who didn't know about it, so oh, wow. lost on the way. But I've had a, quite a few paintings lost on the way, you know. Uh, yeah, so I,
1: saw, I saw there was a, a cut-out of that. What's his name? Well... Any idea?
2: Malcolm McDowell is the actor... Yeah. And the, 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 the character is...
1: is the, the iconic one with a bowler hat and the, yes. the black star around his, his eye. Well, I saw you had a cut-out uh, in your studio. Just yes. Started. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty and cool, isn't it?
2: I, th- I think there's a, a clock in the gallery in Scotland.
1: Actually. Oh, based on that?
2: Yes. Clockwork clock.
1: And what was... What, what did he
2: have, Stanley Kubrick? What did he.? He had a canvas. He wanted me to do the film poster. And uh, at the time, I wasn't capable of doing the graphics. And I, I, I'm not a graphic designer, you know. And I also made the mistake of seeing that I read the book when it was new. When he approached me to do the poster, I read the book a second time just before I saw the film. And I had loved the book the first time around. I liked Anthony Burgess, who wrote it. And so reading the book for a second time, I, I imagined it. And then I saw the film, and it wasn't how I imagined it. Yes. And it's not a really likeable film, either. It's powerful, but it's I not like it
1: Years ago, I've never read the book. Well, look...
2: case, so I didn't really... I didn't do what he wanted. He he knew exactly what he wanted for the poster and he got somebody else to do it. I did him a, a canvas which had this head sort of floating in a abstract world which was just the kind of world I was painting at the time. I couldn't compromise in the way that he wanted. Nowadays I would find it much easier to expand what I do. Then I was still... All about self-definition, and he loved it. Paid me, asked me to do something else, offered me more money than I'd ever earned before, and I said no. Wow. I I tried, but I just thought I'm not into this. I'm just not into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, was it thinking that you might? It may not be as. Um, it may not be what you expected because of the the, the lack like, of knowledge of graphic design? Or... That wasn't
2: the issue so much as I really hadn't enjoyed the film and uh, I thought the imagery in the film wasn't really doing it for yeah. me in terms of inspiring me to do something from it that yeah. related to it, so it was... No, I can't, sorry. I well, tried, I did try. The, I,
1: one of the I, artworks for saw in the studio, which I hadn't which I seen before was the um, the Earl's Court one, and uh, it's a massive. Um, what, what is that? Maybe six by nine feet.
2: Uh, maybe seven.
1: So, what six by what, Mem- seven? Something like nine.
2: Yeah, something like that.
1: Of Earl's Court. Um,
2: now demolished.
1: Now demolished.
2: Yes. So I was memorialising it. I, I knew it That's was something. up for definite for de- demolition. I was opposing it the demolition you've I st- been
1: very vocal in that from the start haven't
2: you yes and uh, I thought it was a disaster for the neighbourhood and I went to so many events there and so many exhibitions all my life and it drew hundreds of thousands of people to Earl's Court it put Earl's Court on the world map yeah. and we've just dumped it for a master plan that's disintegrating already and we're damaging London so much at the moment. Um, I really—I was down the King's Road yesterday. I was so shocked by the last two cinemas on the King's Road having gone. Hi, Dougie. Hi. I just thought I'd—I saw are you walking by,
1: and I thought I'd say hi. We're just doing it into. It looked like you were busy,
2: so. Uh, but how are you? I'm. I'm good. Well, just...
1: here we are, halfway through. We've just had a little interruption by by this guy here, one of uh, Dougie's fans. I mean, how was he to know that we were recording? We was only sat on a bench in a cemetery, me with headphones and microphone. But he came over for a chat anyway. And then, just as he goes, we get another little interruption. Let's get back to it. See you in a little while. Good to see you. Have fun. See you later. Sorry, I went blank on his name. That's quite right. Fear you being we recently being vocal about Earl's Court and we're in this an absolutely stunning um Brompton cemetery today. Well it's, it's a wild cemetery as well. And
2: sorry I've gotta just take this. You wanna
1: pause this for a minute? I'll let it go and then i just uh,
2: We are disturbed by that which oh, I missed it trying to get my earpiece,
1: so I'm just going to quickly call them back. Sorry. It's quite all right, you. You've got five coming come out your pocket. I've got... Left, it. Your left pocket, trouser pocket.
2: The, new, these new notes are very tricky.
1: Very slippery.
2: Very slippery. I've, I've actually had them pop out completely. So, where were we?
1: It um, was cold. Being vocal about about it being demolished and we're sat in this beautiful graveyard today cemetery wild cemetery we've got a a family of pigeons sat opposite us several squirrels jumping about and the unsightly view of three or four cranes the noise that is going to go on for what did you say, 20... Years estimate. The
2: estimate was 10 to 20 years when they started, but now, with all the hiccups on the way, I'm saying that that'll be 20 to 30 years. If, because who knows what's going to happen now, there was a master plan, but politics have shifted so that um, Hammersmith and Fulham have gone from Conservative to Labour and they want to pull out of the deal. Uh, the developers are telling them they can't and they're saying they're going to. The mayor has stepped in and bought back this building for the Empress State Building, which was supposed to be part of the development. And even Kensington and Chelsea, although they're still conservative, has said the master plan can't happen. So... Who knows what's going to happen. Recently in the paper it had how the company, the owning company, were demerging. They own Covent Garden as well, and they were demerging the two schemes. And that was supposed to be good for their investment and their shares fell even more than they'd been falling. So um, it seems that the Earl's Court project would be up for sale, but whether anyone will buy it or not. Remains to be seen. They, they're still insisting it's going to go ahead. They're, impli- they're applying to build more housing, uh, but who knows what will happen
1: with planning on that one? And that the, the painting of the Olds Court. That looks. It's obviously, obviously your hand, and there's your figures in there. Maybe it's because it's such a monumental building. Which takes up probably ninety percent of the canvas. Yes, it? Um, it, it 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 looks like a new type of work. It, it doesn't look like your old work.
2: Ah, I haven't done. Is it, ne-
1: is it not complete yet?
2: No, it's complete. But there are paintings that I did in the past of buildings that have a similar feel. Yeah,
1: they've got. Yeah, it's, it's not. Uh, There's no different. It's just very. It's it's a lot lighter. It's not as. Maybe because there's, there's a lot of a lot of white in it. But, um, normally you have a, a hor- horizon, horizon line, don't you? In a
2: um, I frequently and a, and have a, a horizon. And a
1: gradient in yes. the sky, which there yes. isn't.
2: No. Uh, each painting is different. You know, they relate to each other and then they react against each other, so... Um, I have done some more digital versions of the Exhibition Centre. I've done one of it, it being demolished, uh, which is just a digital image, but I've used it quite a bit for the campaign, because the the campaign to save the Exhibition Centre has now shifted to being a a campaign to rebuild an Mm -hmm. Exhibition Centre, to to pull life back into the neighbourhood, because it's just dying. But then, as I say, I was on the King's Road yesterday and I'm shocked at how empty the King's Road is of people and how glossy all these empty shops look. They've all been done up but, yeah. and they look glossy, but there's no people. So whether anyone's ever going to rent, rent them again...
1: Like a lot of the people around there lights on, but no-one's at home.
2: Yeah. No lights on, actually. No-one at home. There's more more what's happening around here. And, and yet we have this great housing shortage in London. Yeah. And... Uh, we're building, we're allowing these structures to be built that will remain occupied or will be for immigrants, rich immigrants, because we're only allowing in rich immigrants, not even then.
1: Yeah. You know, I was saying that, that, that the Elves Court looks like a, a new piece of work. You've, you've gone in a... I know you've been working with music and sound over the last how many years...
2: I don't know when I started. But it seems to um, be...
1: Not coming together, that's, that's not quite right, but it seems to have got to a different place now, hasn't it? Yeah. The music, you were playing me some music. Yes, um,
2: I, I would say the music has got to a place where the music stands alone. It does, definitely. Um, when I did um, this My London programme that just went out, I had to choose six pieces of music. Yeah, yeah and I included one of my tracks, and my track was the very end of the programme, and I have to say, even listening to it, it didn't sound like a drop in musical quality. You know, it it stood its ground.
1: The music in audio form is very much like your work in visual form compared to, like, talking of digital. Yes. So it does replicate um, your work very much in an audio form.
2: I have an interesting way of working too that um, I let a lot of random elements affect what I do visually as well as what I do musically. Yeah. Visually I often just scroll something that becomes something in a canvas. And
1: because you, you, you talk about yourself, so you have no boundaries.
2: I have no boundaries and I, uh, I use random samples that without listening to them.
1: And, of course, Marianne Faithful was was
2: featured, wasn't she? I've got one track that this year she put her voice... sent me her voice to add to it. But uh, that was amazing, cos always admired her voice and never expected that we would have a vocal together. And yeah. We sound pretty good together, if and I that was
1: That was played on... Or, or,
2: no, it hasn't ever played yet.
1: No, that was... Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant your music was played on Gary Crowley's... Um, he Love he
2: played my So Cool track. Yeah. And um, it sounded so cool. It sounded... It worked, Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you also featured on...
2: But I did play one of Marianne Faithful's track on that programme. I played her Broken English, which I think is a fabulous yeah. track.
1: And you, you've been featured again on... We were talking about this earlier... On Radio 4, what was the, the program? Only Artists.
2: Only Artists? It actually went out yesterday in the morning and in the evening, but yesterday it's now on iPlayer. The Wednesday the 31st.
1: Because this won't go out until the, the start of July. This, this one, so would it
2: have been. Uh, I the iPlayer will have finished by then. I, I, they're on for three weeks or 30 days or something? Aren't 30 I, days. 30 I days, I think. days, yeah.
1: And what did, what was that show about? Was it about your show
2: in Scotland, or was it about Dougie Fields? No, it was, it was a conversation between two artists, essentially.
1: Sorry. But the other
2: artist is a writer, as opposed to me being essentially a painter. You
1: and him uh-huh. having a
2: conversation? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. And she was from Glasgow, so they recorded us in Glasgow so that we could... We started off in my exhibition... And then she took me to somewhere which had been somewhere that she used to work. Yeah. And so we had a history of each other and a, we'd never met before. So it was a conversation yeah. about creativity and about our lives too.
1: And what, was you given a format to talk about? Or Not really, no. And we say would hello and...
2: Just uh, I knew that she would take me somewhere in Glasgow and uh, I knew that she was coming to my exhibition um, is, is I also started the writer, wrote the writer. The radio 4 stood back and okay, let us yeah. talk. Um, but I actually started reading one of her books, which I've now finished, and I'm reading a second novel of hers and enjoying What's an them. Louise Welsh. Louise Welsh.
1: You know, I had a similar thing a little while ago. Um, it's called Charlotte's Compass. Um, there's a, an actress who was putting out a. Being done on, on video and audio and she would just come to my home um, the, while the film crew set up um, she sat in another room so I didn't she didn't know of me right until she walked into my kitchen and, we, and I was sitting there at the kitchen table and I introduced myself and said that I'm an artist and been to prison and that's my you know my story is that I went to prison become an artist. And that's what we spoke about there right. and then, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's quite funny how uh, a conversation with a stranger, yes, can go. It's it's quite different when you when you sort of know the person, or or it's, it's not a person. Um, you know, like if you sit on the on the bus, it it'd be a different conversation. But yeah, it, it it can be surprising where it goes.
2: Then it was edited by the Radio Four, so it was broadcast as half an hour was. we'd talked for a lot longer and I don't remember what we talked about that didn't get broadcast <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, one of the last questions here is um, I mean you've already spoke about um, a, f- a few of your favourite artists but if, if you was in a show with five artists you could pick the five artists to be in a show with or you and five others who would that be, do
2: you think? I don't know. I'm in a show at the moment with more than five others. <laughs> and um, one who's a friend, Andrew Logan, who's a great friend, and Excellent. I admire his work. Then there's two other artists in the show who I've never met but I think are amazing. Uh, Nikki de Saint-Faul and uh, Hunter Twasser. Oh, wow. And... Uh, I am a big fan of Hunter Twasso as an architect and as an artist. It's very interesting. We could do with some more buildings that look like his, and those are so boring. If they were Hunter Twasso, they would look fascinating. Uh, And uh, so that was a great combination to be in a show with. Um, I don't have a dream group who I'd like to be in a show with. What is your favourite painting by another... Oh,
1: not painting, but famous artwork by another artist...
2: I don't have one. I admire thousands.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, so to pick one He's is holding, like, it's random. Yeah, it's
1: some favourite song, favourite film, isn't it? Yeah, man?
2: very difficult. Um, who is my all-time favourite artist? I don't know. If I'm having a top ten, I've mentioned a few already, um, we'd have to have Francis Bacon in there. But who else? I don't know. I don't know. It's too... It's too, it eliminates too many people. I, don't, you know, I, I love looking at paintings of all sorts. Uh, there was a programme on TV the other day of, of Hieronymus Bosch, and I thought, I haven't looked at Bosch paintings for years. Yeah. And fascinating. You and, get and, lost yeah. in the time. Yes. Uh, there are too many artists to, to pick.
1: But if he wasn't an artist... What would you be? What would you like to be if you wasn't an artist? Or what do you think you would have been if you didn't become one?
2: I really don't know because the only job I did was um, my parents have a shop. I was brought up over the shop. I helped in the shop Um, when I was at school. I got a job in a record shop in the holidays. All the way through art school and, and architecture school, I worked in a record shop. So. I think being a shop assistant isn't inspiring. Having a shop is um, a, a different matter, but um, i not really into business, but I think um, that would be in the blood.
1: When you to, that rounds up all of our questions. Where can if anyone see your work on social media, website?
2: Instagram and Facebook. I have a website, but it doesn't get updated. It's it's a bit static. I haven't done anything to it for quite a while. It's oh, exactly the same. Yeah. So I I post things on Instagram more regularly and on Facebook. And on Instagram, you are just as Dougie Fields. Dougie Fields. And on Facebook, Dougie Fields, and I put things on Twitter as well.
1: And you, a lot of stuff you're doing on Twitter at the moment.
2: Twitter tends a, to be political for me. Yeah. That's yeah. A,
1: that seems to be like a new little genre for yourself. You're, uh, you're quite prolific in, in what you put up and, and how it's put up. And it's amazing that you can find it. Pull out the, extract the interest out of a mundane, what would be a mundane... Um...
2: I think there's a point to photography. You know, it's either it's beautiful or there's something funny or something ironic or just something really this shouldn't be happening yeah. <laughs> you know I have a, quite a few photographs of things think it's, it's just a shame just a shame I, I put a whole series up on Facebook yesterday the shaming of the, of the King's Road yeah. just uh,
1: yeah, London seems to be going as it's changing before our eyes it's not evolving it's changing it, it used to it, evolve cities, towns and landscapes used to evolve but now they just seem to change
2: now it's sort us. of a uh, Development rampant with councils. Do you think councils having um, outsourced responsibility, oh, Out, you know, sort of uh, not caring about the environment that exists, not caring about communities, yeah, it's just ticking boxes. They're all about income, 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 regardless of actually Bottom future line. cost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What is it they say, the, the price of everything, but the worth?
2: Of Value stuff. of nothing. Yeah.
1: Well, Dougie, that's all my questions done. Thank you very much for everything. Thank you. How about that, Mr. Dougie Fields? That weren't bad for a first episode, was it? As I say, without him replying to that very first letter I sent, I very probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Well, not, at least not the man I am, that's for sure. I'd still be back in my old life, wandering about in them same old circles. So, yeah, I owe Dougie quite a lot. Dougie's on social media quite a lot, mainly on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So, if you would, go over to social media, find him, like him, follow him, even send him a message with a little bit of love saying that you heard him on the Mizog Art podcast. He's got some great stuff going on over there. Well, on next week's episode is Patrick Hughes. Patrick is the artist that devised the mind boggling reverse perspectives. He paints on a 3D surface, which physically has the perspective coming towards you, but visually it goes away. Hence, well, hence the name reverse perspectives. If for some reason you don't know Patrick or reverse perspectives, your best place to go and have a look is on YouTube because it's the moving image that makes the optical illusion work. Patrick, along with Ray Richardson, were the second artist that I wrote to many years ago. They both corresponded with me throughout my sentence, and we're still friends to this day. Well, along with Patrick, who's coming out next week, I've got a couple more recorded. One of which is Mad in Chiswick, Miss Carrie Reichart. Just as Mad in Chiswick, Bob Osborne. Emerging abstract artist, James Gray. Well, that's a double episode, along with an organisation called Cafe Art who champion and support homeless artists. You'll find out more about them when their episode comes out. I know and have collaborated with a lot of artists over the last couple of years, and when I decided to start this podcast, it was those that I contacted first, you know, just to be on the safe side. The amount of artists that agreed to be on the podcast was astounding. Only today I had confirmation from Jessica Albarn, MC Lammas, and Jake Chapman. Well, what I'll do, I'll read you a few off the list I've got here. They're in, they're in alphabetical order. I'll read the first dozen or so out and, and let you know some more at another time. We've got Jessica Albarn, who I just mentioned, Diana Alley, Tim Allen, Franco B, Charming Baker, Dan Baldwin, Lewis Bannister, Molly Beehag, David Bray, Ryan Callanan, Simon Callery, Jake Chapman, The Master of Neon, Mr. Cawty, Bill Daggs, Annabelle Dover. I'll leave it there for now and read some more out at another time. As Dougie mentioned earlier, he's been making music for a few years. I asked him to send one over that I could put on at the end of this podcast. He sent over the title track from his album. It's called So Cool, and it really is an audio representation of his artwork. So, that's about it from me. Don't forget, give Dougie Fields a little hello on social media, Tell him you've listened to him on the podcast. If there's anything you want to ask me, drop us a line at mizogart.com or on social media at mizogart, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Here's Dougie Fields' So Cool. ta
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers.